Today, we're going to wrap it up. Today, we're going to wrap up our series entitled, God's Blueprint for Rebuilding His Church in Your Life. Somebody say, finally! <laughs> Amen. You know, throughout this adventure, we have seen how God Himself has provided a vision for rebuilding His premises and also restoring His people. The Lord our God, the Lord Himself has given His direction. And now it's up to us to either accept it and accomplish it or reject it and suffer the consequences. It's up to us now. When we began, we saw that God's city, Jerusalem, was defenseless and was discouraged. And God's people realized that they must have the courage to respond to what was obvious. The place needed to be rebuilt. The people needed to be restored. And after accepting that truth, we realized that we too must summon the courage to meet the needs that God has prescribed before us. However, responding to the truth is never without opposition. We know that in order to move ahead with the vision that God has given us, we must expect obstacles. But even while facing obstacles, we, God's dream team, knows that teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork, working together as a family, makes the dream work. And we must have courage to face our fears. One fear that we must face as we relentlessly pursue our God-given vision is to confront our own sin. It's easy to point out the sins of other people, isn't it? But what about my sin? What about the woman that you saw in the mirror? What about the man who was shaving in the mirror this morning? What about their sin? Only when sin is addressed can we become the kind of godly leaders that our world desperately, desperately needs. Now, after revealing exactly how God expected His people to rebuild the premises, God directed Nehemiah to begin restoring the people. To do that, Nehemiah said, Listen, if you're going to be the kind of people that God expects you to be, you're going to have to get back to the book. You're going to have to get serious about obedience. You're going to have to get concerned about sin. You're going to have to get committed to God. You're going to have to prepare to serve Him. And you're going to have to get thankful for the goodness of God that we just sang about this morning. In today's final message, getting rid of compromise is going to be our focus. We find today a perfect example of how God's people must root out sin and restore righteousness in our church, in our families, in our marriage, and in our communities. 
You see, because Satan is relentless in his attacks, because Satan is relentless in his attacks on God's work and on God's people, we cannot compromise. We cannot compromise the Word of God. It's not a question of if Satan is going to attack. It's a question of how and when he is going to attack. Therefore, it is the duty of every Christian and every church to respond to the Lordship of Jesus in their life. To the Lordship of Jesus in their marriage. To the Lordship of Jesus in their family. To the Lordship of Jesus in the church. Listen carefully. Jesus is Lord. We are not. Somebody say amen. For weeks now. It's been kind of encouraging. It's been kind of encouraging to see that God's people were indeed responding to the Lordship of God. It was encouraging to see that they began to actually enjoy their restored fellowship with God. But today we find that Nehemiah has been absent from Jerusalem for about 12 years. And how many of you know that when the cat's away, the mice will play? Amen. Things turn drastically from positive to negative in the city of God. And the reason is clear. God's people were breaking their promises to God. You see, that's really what compromise is. Compromise is breaking promises. In this case, they were compromising their relationship with God. They were breaking the promises that they had made to God Almighty. What promises, you say? Well, today we're going to learn at least four and maybe more. The first broken promise is that they broke their promise to separate themselves. I believe on page 441 in the Bibles in front of you, in Nehemiah chapter 13, the last chapter in that journal that Nehemiah has written, I'm going to begin reading from the first verse in Nehemiah 13. He writes, On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. What did they do? They got back to the book. Amen. They were listening in the hearing of the people, and in it, as they read, it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Why, you say? Sounds awful prejudiced to me. Why, you say? Here's why. Because they, the Ammonites and Moabites, had not met with the children of Israel years ago, centuries ago. They had not met with the children of Israel with bread and water, but instead hired a fellow named Balaam, a sorcerer, against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. 
And so it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now, before this, verse 4, Eliashib, the priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of God, was allied with a fellow named Tobiah. Now, we'll get to him in a minute. And Eliashib had prepared for Tobiah a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and the oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king as I promised. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered this evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah. In preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. And then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. And I brought them back in the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So, you might remember that name, Tobiah. There was a man named Tobiah who was a half-Jew from Ammon. And he had been a thorn in Nehemiah's side the whole time that he was trying to lead this rebuilding of the wall. Then, after returning to Jerusalem, after 12 years, he was stunned to find that his enemy, Tobiah, was actually living in the house of God. Do you see the problem? The priest, Eliashib, who it turns out was related to Tobiah by marriage, had allowed the enemy to infiltrate the house of God and set up shop amongst the people of God. The enemy was in the house. And Nehemiah was enraged. He immediately evicted Tobiah and threw all this stuff out with him. He wasn't going to have any of that. Nehemiah recognized the defilement. He recognized defilement when he saw it. And he set out to set things right. Now, in this little event, we see some of the devil's tactics in the way that Tobiah did things. For instance, did you notice that Tobiah, the enemy of God's people... Waited 12 years before he weaseled his way into the house of God. Listen, the devil is also very patient. He'll wait as long as he's got to wait to weasel himself into your marriage. Into your family. Into our church. He'll do whatever he has to do to infiltrate your life. Tobiah also noticed that he waited until Nehemiah was gone. Tobiah waited until the spiritual leader was absent. And can I just tell you, much can happen between Monday and Saturday. 
You have to stay in the Word yourself all week long. It's great that we come together and we learn from the Word of God together. That we come into life groups together. It's great. It's necessary. It's so important. But Monday through Saturday are the days that the enemy is going to try to infiltrate your life. Just like Tobiah. Just when you think you've gained a victory over one part of your life, then just like the devil, he subtly and sneakily tries to come in through another door. You got this problem fixed. What does the devil do? He says, I'm going to try this angle to infiltrate that marriage, to infiltrate that life or that family. Friend, listen, if we don't stay alert, that is exactly how the enemy of God will defile you, will defile your marriage, will defile your family, and defile this church. When we came to Jesus, when we came to faith in Christ, you and I were in essence making a solemn promise to God. We were making a solemn promise to the Lord that we were going to be separated from the world and that we were going to follow Him. Listen, we cannot break that promise. You must be separated from the world and you must Follow the Lord Jesus. Now here's a second broken promise that we see in the passage. They also broke their promise to support God's work. Let's continue reading in verse 10. Nehemiah writes in his journal, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So they, they quit doing their work in the church and they went back to their farming. Okay, let's keep going. So I contended with the rulers and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shelemiah the priest and Zedek the scribe. And of the Levites, Padiah. And next to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah. For they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to the brethren and then in verse 14, we find another one of Nehemiah's breath prayers. Remember that, that sermon that we talked about, breath prayers? Here's what he says. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God and for its services. So here we find that the very rooms... That Tobiah was living in. The very rooms of the temple. Where Tobiah resided. Were previously used. To store the tithes. And the offerings that came from God's people. Now the question begs to be asked. If Tobiah was living there. Then what happened 
to the offerings that God's people gave. Well, things had kind of fallen apart while Nehemiah was gone. And he asked the leaders the same question. Why has the house of God been forsaken? But what he's doing here is he's pointing out the real problem. He's pointing out the real problem. He said, had the storerooms not been empty to begin with, there would have been no place for the enemy to reside. He was saying, if people had been giving and the storerooms were full, then the enemy would have had to set up shop some other place. Friends, I think that our hearts are a whole lot like the storerooms we read about in the temple. If God is not filling your heart to the top, if he's not filling your heart, then the devil will subtly and he'll quietly move into that unoccupied space. In chapter 10, verse 39, the people had promised, they promised Saying, we will not neglect the house of our God. We ain't doing it. We will not neglect the house of our God. But now they have broken their promise to make God number one in their lives. They have broken their promise to support the work of God. And the enemy moved right in to that unoccupied space. Now there's a third promise that they broke. And that is they broke their promise to observe the Sabbath. Part of their covenant with God was that they would observe God's Sabbath, the Sabbath day of rest, and keep it holy. You've read the Ten Commandments before. God said, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Holy, that was a covenant with the Jewish people and they were commanded to keep this day of rest. Well, one reason that the Jews went into captivity, one reason that Jerusalem got destroyed in the first place was because they violated that commandment. They violated the, the Sabbath not only to rest on the seventh day, but they also violated the Sabbath to let the land Rest on the seventh year. So they were just nonstop violating this commandment. How many of you know that God takes his commandments very seriously? Is that just one of you? How many of you know that God takes his commandments very seriously? Do you? Listen, Nehemiah sure did. Nehemiah sure did. Did you see what he did? Nehemiah come busting back into town. He took charge of the city. He shut her down. Shut down the whole city before sunset on the Sabbath day. Then he posted guards at the gates on the Sabbath day. And then he threatened to whoop anybody who sold anything on the day of Sabbath. He wasn't going to have it. He took God's commands very seriously. Friends, in a time where many professing believers of Jesus Christ are ignoring the word of God, we 
need to be as devoted to God's word as Nehemiah was some 2,500 years ago. And not just to the parts we like, but to all of the word of God. Let us hold fast to the promises me and you made when we came to Jesus, when we became Christians. Let us hold fast to that promise to live by and share the word of God that he's given us. Your final promise is this. They broke their promise to keep marriage sacred. Let's check it out in verse 23. I want to let me back up and read that part about the Sabbath first. Because in verse 15, Nehemiah writes, In those days I saw people in Judah treading the wine presses on the Sabbath day and bringing in shivs and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also and brought fish and all kinds of goods, and they sold them on the Sabbath day. And the children of Israel and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with the nobles of Judah. And I said to them, what is this evil thing you're doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did your fathers not do that? And did our God not bring disaster on us and on this city? And yet here you are bringing added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath day. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded that the gates be shut that and charged that they not be open until after the Sabbath. And then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers, all kinds of wares, and they lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them. I said, why are you spending the night around the wall? If you do so again, I'm going to give you a whooping. That's Brother Bill, amen. Uh, I'll lay hands on you, he said. From that time they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And he closed that section with another breath prayer, saying, remember me, oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. But then we read about that broken promise to keep marriage sacred. In verse 23, Nehemiah says, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children, here we go, half of their children, half of the next generation spoke the language of Ashdod. And could not even speak the language of Judah. But they spoke according to the language of one or other people. So I contended with them and I cursed them and I struck some of them and I pulled out their hair and I made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for sons, for your sons, for yourselves. Did not Solomon, the king of, of Israel, sin by these things? Yet many nations, there was no king like him who, who was the beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Verse 27. Should we then hear of your doings of all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehida, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, another enemy. And he said, therefore, I drove him out. 
and close that section with another breath prayer saying, Remember me, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So the final promise that God's people broke was they had begun intermarrying with people from the world. They had begun intermarrying with people that didn't know God, didn't want to know God, didn't worship God, and didn't obey God. They had turned their backs on God's command to keep marriage sacred. Now you may remember back in chapter 10 verse 30, God's people made another promise. They made a promise in writing. And here's what they said. We will not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land. Nor will we take their daughters for our sons. In writing they promised. However we find here that the people have reneged on their promise. They reneged on that written promise. And they begin marrying people from all the surrounding lands. So as a result. The next generation of kids. The next generation of children. Did not even know the Hebrew language. And we know that the word of God was written in the Hebrew language. So if they didn't know the Hebrew language, guess what else they didn't know? They didn't know even the word of God. And began that slippery slope of our next generations not knowing God. Nehemiah got so tore up. That they were neglecting the kids. That he began to pronounce curses on them. He began whooping some of them. He began pulling out their hair. And making them swear an oath to God. That they would return to honoring marriage. Now, Nehemiah reminded them of King Solomon's sins with pagan women. And how corrupt even Solomon became. He reminded them of how ultimately... Solomon's sins cost him his throne. Many Christians today also neglect the sanctity of marriage. God created it. God designed it. God anointed it. And we need to hold fast to the sanctity of marriage. And here's the reason why. Because when we begin to neglect marriage... Yeah, it costs the husband and wife, all right. But you know who else it costs? Maybe even more? The kids. It costs the next generation when we don't raise them up to hold God's ordinance of marriage sacred. Now, many people will try to rationalize their decision to marry a non-believer even though it's a clear violation of God's word. But listen, no matter how much you pray about it, no matter how much peace you think you have, God is never going to grant peace to something that is an actual violation of his word. It won't happen. So let us always hold fast to God's design for marriage. Now I imagine that Nehemiah was pretty disgusted that he was pretty disappointed when he returned to Jerusalem to find all of God's people breaking their promises. But he wasn't going to take it lying down. Instead, in typical Nehemiah fashion, we find that he was going to clean up that hot mess he found. He wasn't going to take it lying down. 
he was going to contend and confront the broken promises of God's people. Now, there are three important lessons very quickly that you and I can learn from this period of compromise. This period of compromise 2,500 years ago in the history of God's people. And we'll close out the chapter and the book in verse 30. Thus I cleanse them from everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing a wood offering and the first fruits at the appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Now all three of these lessons talk about living with the enemy. We have to live with the enemy. Not as the enemy, but we have to live with him in our presence. And all these lessons have um, three things involved. Being alert, being aggressive, and being accountable. First is this. Be alert to the subtlety of Satan. Be alert to the subtlety of Satan. The enemy of God, whether it's Satan himself or those that he empowers, will look for any opportunity to come in your life, oppose your life, and disrupt the work of God in your life. So we've got to keep our hearts full of the Spirit of God all the time. We've got to move stuff out so that we can move more of Him in. Friend, are you continually keeping your heart full of the things of God? Are you removing the furniture of this world and making more room for Jesus? My prayer is that you'll be aware, that you will beware of the subtlety and the craftiness of the enemy. But also notice that we must be aggressive in confronting compromise. Always start in the mirror. Always start in the mirror. Because as much compromise as you see out there in the world, there's probably plenty in the mirror. Nehemiah was a man of action. Notice the words that he uses when he's dealing with these broken promises. Three times Nehemiah contended, which means to defend firmly. Twice Nehemiah commanded, which means to order with authority. Twice Nehemiah warned, which means he's going to give notice or there's a whooping coming. Amen. Nehemiah also cursed and struck and pulled out hair. Nehemiah was being bold. He was being aggressive in dealing with those who broke their promises to God. And when Nehemiah saw the enemy at work, he didn't go off in the corner and cry. He didn't go to his prayer closet and say, i got to pray about this. He didn't come and say, oh, I need to get counsel from somebody who's wiser than me. No, what he did is he confronted that compromise when he saw it. He confronted that compromise. So in other words, if it looks like the devil and it sounds like the devil and it's acting like the devil, then it's probably the devil. Amen. And the devil needs to be evicted and rejected at every turn. Sometimes we don't want to be accused of making a fuss. Sometimes we don't want to be accused of being narrow-minded. And so what do we do? We let things slide. Oh, that problem will take care of itself. But you know and I know that if we don't advance on the problem, the problem is going to advance on us. 
And so we've got to deal and confront with that prayer. Notice also, friend, those four breath prayers. Those four breath prayers that Nehemiah made. It reminds us that even the leader of Israel was constantly holding himself accountable to God. Remember me, O my God, concerning this and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also. Spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood. And finally, remember me, my God, for good. That reminds us that we're accountable too. Don't just be alert to the subtlety of the enemy. Don't just be aggressive in confronting compromise, but realize that you've got to hold yourself accountable. Whenever unity, whenever purity of God's people is in jeopardy, whenever it's undermined, it's up to me and you to step in and step up and make it right. When God's people are breaking their promises, when God's people are compromising their faith, we got to have a little bit of backbone. we got to have a little bit of courage to lovingly point it out. You see, God's people are held to a higher standard. And it takes great courage to hold ourselves up to that standard. We have an enemy who's trying to get at us. We have an enemy who's trying to get at our kids. He's trying to do whatever he can do to get the next generation. He will break any promise that he makes you. He will try to get you to break your promises to God. And he will constantly fight to try to convince you to go his way rather than God's way. But as God's child, you can be persistent too. You don't have to go down without a fight. You too can stand firm, fight the good fight, and overcome the enemy. And I'm here to tell you that through the power of the Spirit of God, you will overcome that enemy. Friend, before we leave this series, I want you to be sure. I want you to be sure that you haven't allowed the enemy to occupy any part of your life. Time for a little self-examination this, evening, this morning. Has the enemy occupied any part of your life? If he has, it's time for him to go. Because you belong to God. You are God's child. You are God's servant. You are God's property. You are God's possession. You are God's elect. And the enemy has no place in your life. He has no place in your marriage. He has no place in your family. He has no place in your home. He has no place in this church. So let us courageously confront compromise when we see it. Especially in the mirror. So today's decision time is going to be dedicated to evicting the enemy. I don't know how he's attacking you, but I know he is. 
I don't know when he's going to attack you, but I know he will. And I don't know how he's going to attack you. But friend, I know he's going to. And I'm here to stand with you, and I pray you're here to stand with me to make sure if there's any area of our lives that the enemy is trying to develop a stronghold, that we'll have courage to confront that compromise and evict him. Amen. Get him out and everything that's come in with him. Now will you have the courage to confront your compromise? Let me pray for you. Father God, we are so sorry that we have broken so many promises. Lord, but for the grace of God, we'd be hell bound. But for the forgiveness that you offer your people through Christ and the blood that he shed on that cross, we'd be paying the penalty of sin for all eternity. Lord, forgive us for breaking our promises. Lord, help us to stand strong and evict the enemy and everything that he's brought in with him. Father, as we bring this series to Nehemiah, in Nehemiah to a close, Father, I pray that we've learned much about your church and about your people. Lord, let us not be busy pointing it out in others. Let's begin with who we see in the mirror every day. And let's challenge that person to live for you, to be sold out to serving you, and to be completely dedicated to building a family of God in this church that will last for eons until you come again for us. Lord, help us to be willing to protect the next generation by contending with compromise today. Father, if there's anybody that's here today that needs to establish their relationship with you that can only come through Jesus, Lord, I pray they would come forward during this song and they would dedicate and make the promises that will never be broken to honor you and to dedicate their lives to you. And Lord, for the believer that's been the Christian for the long time, Lord, help us all to recognize where we fall short and to make the corrections and contend with those areas of our lives that we let slide. No compromise. That should be the rule for the child of God. Lord, I pray that for my brothers pray that for my sisters. I pray that for every marriage. I pray that for every family. Lord, I pray that for every home. And Lord, I pray that for the body of Christ that gathers here at Bethel Baptist Church. Have your will in your way in this decision time for your glory and for our good and in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.